This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello everyone and welcome along to your Sunday night edition of the TII podcast. My name is Craig Dennett and I'm your host this evening as I'm joined by John Walker and Kieran Wallace to look back over what I think can be fairly described as a roller coaster of a weekend for, for Rangers fans. Um, John, how are you doing this Sunday evening? Good, good. Uh, no thanks to, to Rangers and themselves, but probably more so to the, the main man, Lauren Shanklin. But yeah, good. Absolutely. And Kieran, how are you? I'm good, mate. I, I, this podcast tonight could have been a whole lot different had it not been for that result today. And who would think that we would come on and we'd be a goal better off the goal difference column? It's just, <laughs> <laughs> it's a title race. There's twists and turns, and it's going to be like this. Absolutely, and that'll be where we that'll be where we start tonight's podcast. Just talking about some title races, maybe some of our memories as well of title races gone by. Pointed plenty to talk about in terms of the game yesterday as well, some of the key talking points, some of the key um, things that we can take away and look, look ahead to in the upcoming games, particularly around sort of injuries, lack of creativity, lack of width and various points around that. So we'll get on to all of that. But before we do, John, I'll start with you. It was a roller coaster of a weekend. Can you sum up your emotions firstly after the game yesterday and then how that is switched today after the events at Tynecastle? So yesterday was just disbelief. So I've East Coast up playing Asheville yesterday. So I was sitting with my phone at the side of the pitch, pretty much relying on you guys to keep me informed as the scores. And once it went 1-1, heading back in, till game finished at 15. So 1-1, heading back in, grabbed my stuff to jump in the car. By the time I jumped in the car, Motherwell had just scored on the radio. And I was like, you're joking me, man. Like this, this, can't, this can't be happening. This, this actually can't be happening. And you know what it's like? I don't listen to radio a lot driving home and it was the, the double save, the clearance off the line, everything just waiting for the crowd to roar. And I did think after what I seen at Hearts against us last week and midweek against Hibs, I did think that was kind of, we were going to be chasing again. Yeah, I, I think I think we all kind of assumed that it would give Celtic a bit of a lift. That result yesterday, it was unexpected, I think, from all sides, apart from maybe Motherwell. It was probably unexpected from Motherwell, to be fair, because they hadn't won at Ibrox since, uh, was it 2001 or 2002, something along those kind of lines. 97, um, I think it was. Was it 97? Um, yeah. As far back as that. So that just shows you how how dominant we've been over Motherwell and how much of a, I guess, surprise result that was yesterday. But Kieran, what was your emotions between yesterday and today? And how did you feel? I, I think pretty much everyone felt pretty down after that game. Uh, Ibrooks, um, and it seems to this, like you said at the start of the podcast, this could have been such a different tone, it could have been such a different discussion that we're having, but yet we sit here on Sunday night, um, two points ahead. Yeah, I think it was a real mixture of emotions yesterday coming out uh, the ground, basically gutted, angry. Um, I had the feeling in my head constantly going through that they knew we would slip up at some point that, okay, they're top, but they'll slip up. It happens all the time. It's absolutely fine. That's just Rangers for you. And we thought we were by that. And yesterday felt like we were back in that again, that I, I, that's, that's just what happens when Rangers are in a title race, but no, it is a title race. And we've seen that today. And I think all credit is due to Motherwell yesterday. I thought they were excellent against Rangers. I thought in particular, uh, Lennon Miller, Blair Spittle, I thought they really ran the game for Motherwell and they set their stall out right and I don't know if many people in the comments like agree with me here but the best team won yesterday it's as pure and simple as that and I'm just glad their manager didn't come out and embarrass himself after the game and try and blame the referees for the defeat because it was on us we, were, uh, we weren't we were good enough and Motherwell were the better team Yeah, and he um, 
Brendan Rodgers didn't even try and blame the right referee either um, for the for the No, I think um, Philip Fluke Kawant was actually, and I was on the post-match yesterday from the gantry with Kyle, and Fluke Kawant was actually very upbeat after yesterday. He was like, I was expecting us to hit a wall well before this stage. He's like, 29 games in, I've been here five months and this is the first time that we've just had a really bad performance, just had a bad game nothing's kind of gone right for us Is it very rarely does very very rarely in, in his career has he had a game where we've created his team has created so many chances and um, there's been stuff, but, uh, shots cleared off the line, blocks uh, last ditch blocks um, poor finishing just we had 31 shots at goal yesterday and we'll come on to a bit because actually at the game it felt like there was a, a lack of creativity but we did create 31 chances effectively so um, we'll come on to that a bit later but I thought that was interesting from Philippe Comont and I don't think there's many people that would argue with you Kieran that were at the game yesterday in terms of the fact that Motherwell deserved to win particularly on you mentioned uh, Lennon Miller and Blair Spittle there but Theo Bear's performance as well um, yeah. was, partic- was particularly impressive so we'll come on to that as well but after the game John a lot of the reactions from Rangers fans, it's safe to say it covered the full spectrum. Um, from some people, some people taking in the, the bigger picture and thinking, worst comes to worst, we're one point behind. We've already come from seven points behind. We're, we're well within touch and distance. We're still well within the title race. One bad game, it's not going to mean it's bad for the rest of the season. Whereas some people went completely off the cliff at the other end. Um, Handing handing the title across to the other side of the city, um, and all, <laughs> I think as I said, it's only the second defeat Fleetwood once had in twenty nine games at Rangers, and that's an incredible run of form, particularly with the the squad he has at his disposal, and also the injuries that the squad has been has been tackling. Why do you think the reaction was so big to that yesterday? PTSD. PTSD of the previous Brendan Rodgers Celtic, of Ange Postacoglu's Celtic, nine in a row, four trebles in five years. All that is one, but the reality is we've all kind of seen it. I don't think Celtic are by any means out of a title race. It's very much going to be down to match day 36, 37, 38. But this isn't the Celtic team that's going to go and win every game between now and the end of the season. Had this been Postacoglu's Celtic and they were going to Hearts today, it would have been the result I expected it to be. And then I would be going, I don't see where an Ange Postacoglu Celtic side drops enough points and probably comes and beats us uh, when they have to. That team doesn't exist just now. It's all over the place. It's kind of feels like throwing shit against the wall. It's Sabada, it's Palma, it's Kyogo, it's Maida, it's Yang, it's whoever it is out wide. It's just, what what one or what this week? What one or what this week? I know they missed a penalty, I know they were out of 10 men, but I do think the context that it has to have some bearing on Rangers. Rangers will slip up. I don't, I, I'd be surprised if anyone, barring those people, thought Rangers wouldn't slip up. I think it's just the surprise that we got out of Hearts, got out of Kilmarnock, and then drop it to a Motherwell side that are one of the poorer away teams in the league. But Motherwell are the third best scorers in the league. Motherwell score a lot of goals. So that edge was always going to be there. Theo Bear is... I think outside of Shankland is the most informed strikers just now in the last 10 games. I think he scored six goals. I think yesterday was goal seven in 10 games. His last and, 10 games. And some of the clips I put together for Motherwell for the, this is Ibrox analysis, Theo Bear does that to everyone. He, he's a big boy. He'll bully centre-halves. He'll get chances. I think it was just surprised that we didn't convert more of our chances. So then I think all of that just bleeds back into Rangers fans going, we've buggered this again, we've buggered this again, this is done. And they just kind of seem to settle. There are, I know it's, it's not meant to be, um, what's the right word, patronising. It's not meant to be patronising, but there'll be like 21, 22 year old Rangers fans that have never done the title race that we have. That there would have been kids when, when you're trying to watch Helicopter Sunday, listening to the Celtic game on radio, whilst watching the Rangers game on Satanta, try to figure out what the hell's going on, or being at the Rangers Dunfermline game and relying on a text message or somebody with a radio to try and figure out how many goals Celtic had. Like, try and just. Before you had all this, like if you try and imagine what we had to try and do to realise we needed a goal to win a title with two minutes to go, like you, people need to calm down. This is going to be one of those title races. 
John, I was sitting in the front row at Ibrox at that point of the Dunfermline game and Arthur Newman came over for a throw-in and asked the front row, what's their score? And the guy in the radio is telling back to him, they've scored four. <laughs> it was fucking mental, man. <laughs> well, I think we've, we've all kind of... I was actually... Um, I was at home watching with two TVs side by side um, for that game. I think it was BBC One and BBC Two had had both games for the Dunfermline one. Um, and then I was doing the same as you, John, in terms of Satanta on the radio for, for the Helicopter Sunday stuff. But Kieran, it was one of the points that, that you kind of messaged me about earlier on in terms of it, people don't, there's a lot of people out there who seem to have forgotten what a proper title race is like and that, that you don't just win all your games to the end of the season. That's not how this works. Different teams are under different pressures at different times, depending on who plays first, depending on what results have been for the other team. Teams slip up against ones that they're not expected to. Like John said, we beat Hearts comprehensively with our, probably our, one of our best performances of the season. Um, we did really well to dig out a, a difficult win and a way to Kilmarnock during the week. And then you come to Motherwell and everyone's like guaranteed three points and you and you go to one. What are your memories of those those title races as such that you've seen before and 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 for you is it a lot of people will just remember that final day and that'll be that'll be all they remember about each of those seasons will be that final day and that feeling but what are there memories that that you draw on i guess to to i guess i'm not sure what the word is but settle any extreme emotions that you get when when rangers drop points like yesterday yeah, I think I think we've been quite fortunate that in our lifetime the, the last days have swung our way. Um, but it, it's crazy. You touched in Helicopter Sunday there and everyone will remember it just for the final minutes. But you look back to Celtic coming to Ibrooks, turning us over, a handful of Celtic fans unfurl a banner saying five points clear at Ibrooks, we've won the league. There's two games to go, three games to go after. I think it was two games to go after that. Hibs turn them over at Easter Road. And then it comes down to the final game. We're winning at Hibs. It's KJ. If things stay the way they are with goal difference, Hibs are in Europe as well. So the end of that game just turned into a crazy sort of just passing game between the back four of Rangers, knowing that we had won the league if things stayed where they were. Um, Hibs were in Europe. But the, the mental thing was, I remember reading things on Follow Follow after the game, after we had secured it, a lot of the folk that were in the stand at Easter Road thought that Celtic could drew because the celebrations had went on that much. They didn't realise that Scott McDonald had scored a second goal and they actually got beat. So like that, uh, that went right down to the wire. But the Dunfermline game where both teams were going for it with goal difference, and I think we won it by one in goal difference. Or yeah, Pennant, I'm right in saying that, but yeah. had even he not scored that, we would have won it one goal scored better, if you know what I mean. Um yeah. That game was wild. Yeah, yeah, and and I think back to the Ross County game a couple of weeks ago, and you've got fans screaming, "We need two more!" and this isn't enough goals. That I don't know how they would have survived that day. It was, it was crazy, and I think it was your John just said you were lining people with radios and word of mouth going about, and rumours were flying about. They missed a penalty, I think. Uh, Stephen Thompson scored a header right at the same time as they hit the post. And it was just all out drama. It's a full on title race. Um, that's what it's all about. And I think credit where it's due to the the split. I think when there's a title race, the split really makes it exciting because both teams are up against the um, four other most quality sides in the league, and it does. It makes it exciting because any team can take points off anybody, really. Yeah, John. You've both spoken about there about relying on radios and relying on word of mouth to. To who scored when and how many there is and there's some wild wild stuff happens when that's the case but at, how much do you think social media has become a factor in the way fans react and how much do you think things like Twitter and the, the instantaneous nature of it has, has, has factored into those kind of extreme emotions that people are, are feeling in these title races? Mate, 100% because see the only way my mates could have got my attention my Celtic sport mates before was texting me but there's no way I'm looking at my phone. There's no way I'm answering that phone call. Or they're not getting invited out to where we're going to drink after it. It's just not happening. We're no mixing. But people just gaggle on Twitter all the time. So people are just on Twitter. So I've now got access to thousands of Celtic fans that can find me up at any point they want to. And they will do. And they'll continue to do. And see when it doesn't go my way, I'll bite back. And it'll just ruin everything that I'm doing. That'll happen. I just had to take no three or four pals before. 
and now it's an app that people can just come and wind me up it's horrendous and I think it just does add to the anxiety of like nobody able to go on and find the Rangers content you want to find because you're going to see Celtic bamming Rangers fans up Rangers bamming Celtic fans up and we've all just become a little more unhinged because of it <laughs> yeah I think that's fair I, I know personally that I if, if we drop points I avoid Twitter for a good four five six hours after after the result purposefully because I know exactly what's going to happen and and what I'm going to see Kieran are you the same or do you just straight on there and just take in as much content as you can I'm quite reserved I think I get excited in the this is iBooks group chat a wee bit and keep it in there like my friends are split half and half and we have a bit back and forward funnily enough helicopter Sundays I've run about the age that I was out all the time and my best mates are Celtic fans so that morning we woke up thinking Celtic were going to win the league so we were going up to my uncle's to watch the game and he came with me and we both just said look whatever will be will be and oh my god you just sat on the edge of the couch at the end of the game like that it took a glass of champagne. It was it was man enough to do it. So I that's that's my experience of that. I said anything like that. It's friendly football banter. It's nothing nothing too much. I think on Twitter some folk can take it a wee bit too far because it's the whole gangster behind the keyboard stuff, and I don't really like to get drawn into that. I prefer the banter side of things a bit more. Um, so I'll I'll keep my golden for our group chats and. I'll, I'll wait till things are proper before I start putting stuff out there. I think that's a sensible approach. Yeah, I I, um, I tend to, to moan at Kyle, of all people, if, if something goes wrong. <laughs> he, he, he hears it all and then I'm more considered and reserved than in what I tweet unless, um, unless it's something completely shocking and then I just instantly react. But I think that's fair. Kieran, just you were at the game yesterday. What did you make of the game and the performance overall, I felt like we weren't there from the very start and from kickoff onwards, we just, we seemed to struggle for the first 15 minutes, didn't really find a foothold in the game, midfield never really took control at any point, it just seemed that we just struggled to get going and never, never really found it. Yeah, I thought the attitude was right. I thought we'd constantly tried to enforce the tempo and um, try to penetrate their defence at every opportunity. And they had set up a solid back four with, I think it was two sitting in front. And they really did set out their stall well, Motherwell. And we just could not break it down. I think Clement touched on it in his press conference that the players kind of fell into that desperate trap again of trying things that they shouldn't and starting to play laterally. And... It just it wasn't pretty, and like you said, it didn't feel like that from the start, Craig. Like even the fans, I felt the fans were flat, and it was back to the old, like John said, PTSD stuff where they were getting on the players' back. The or as Clement says, to quote a phrase, the synergy wasn't really there yesterday. Um, but the squad to me felt flat um, without a spark. We had McCausland on the left, which we've not really seen yet. You had Sterling on the right, which. He has had good performances there, but I don't see him holding that position down. He looked quite uncomfortable at times yesterday. Um, and then with the injury to McCausland, having to see Silva um, on the left, and a lot of it just looked disjointed. Diamondi at the 10 didn't really work either. Um, strangely enough, when he brought Lawrence on, he kept Diamondi at the 10, which I found quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I did think, though, that that gave... Um... Dio Mande a bit more freedom. Um, I, don't, I think he was looking to be a bit more creative when he had Lawrence behind him. I don't know, there's a lot of comments coming in as well. I'll, I'll bring them up just now in terms of uh, Pete Lawrence saying, am I the only one who's concerned about Raskin's long-term future at Rangers? He's not really been shown well in games. Uh, boy knows John, Raskin is such an empty jersey this season. Um, and Pete Lawrence kind of comes in and says, I do think poor selection lost us that game. I think we would have won and with Sterling in the middle and Warren starting. Can we just if we just focus on I guess the midfield for now and I'll come back to the overall selection. But the the midfield and, and Nico Raskin in particular, I felt that was a real weak link for us yesterday. I don't know, I'm gonna disagree. I thought Raskin was all right. We've got to remember he's coming back from injury. So a non-contact injury which seems to have affected him pretty badly but I, I do agree that he's not been on form even before that this season compared to when he came in from January last season there's just a complete contrast um, 
we're talking about a guy that captained Belgium's under-21s. We want more from him. We really, really do. But it's not a case that we look for a scapegoat or we got on the guy's back. We know there's quality there. We know we've got a manager that can bring out the quality. And I said it in last week's pod, Raskin's going to have a, a part to play in this running. Um, he is a quality football player. I think he'd been unlucky yesterday. I thought he was all right. I thought he'd done his job well. But I think that was another one. If I, I think I looked at a certain point and Raskin was the sitter as opposed to Lundstrom. Lundstrom is in the eight. Like, why change that? I don't get that either. Um, on the on the comments about the squad selection, I think in Clement's defence, he's a wee bit hamstrung with what he can do just now. And he is trying to manage Tom Lawrence, knowing how important he is to us. And look, see if you look at it over the piece, if there's a game you're going to play Lawrence and there's a game you're going to rest him, you play him Kilmarnock, you rest him Motherwell. We didn't see what came yesterday coming whatsoever. So I know everybody's screaming for it should have started Lawrence. Lawrence isn't going to play 90 minutes for it. He's said that countless times. So I, I feel a wee bit there, but Raskin will be fine. He will. John, what do you, you obviously look at... Um... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. A lot of Rangers games, specifically from a tactical perspective. And I, I, what did you, what do you make of Raskin so far this season? And I, and I guess the limited time that he's had, it, the eye test, I guess, suggests that he's not anywhere near the level of performance we saw in the first three or four months. He was at Rangers. What? What are you seeing and what's your assessment? I disagree with it. I think you comment you just pulled up, disagree with. I think uh, Clement's first game against Hibs, Raskin was man of the match, best player in the park, by an absolute mile. Um, I've just pulled it up in front of me because I remember them being man of the match, so 95% passing, 100% tackling, for tackles one, 80% ground duels, 100% aerial duels, eight recoveries, seven presses where he turned over possession. He was man of the match that day for a reason under Clement. He then gets injured three games later. But yeah. like that, that 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 was the be all and end all. Come on, came in instantly. He had a little upturn. Looked like he would have been the one got injured. And an injury during the season's a killer. That that can completely dismantle getting any rhythm back to your game and performing. I thought he was all right yesterday from what I've seen. Um I watched the the the, the match back on Rangers TV this morning. He looked all right to me. Didn't look great. Um, but I don't think anyone really did in the first half. I think there was a lot of problems with the way we were set up in the first half. I think McCausland having to go off changes that again. I think it's just too easy to go, well, Raskin wasn't playing. Raskin's came in. We've not played well. Raskin's at fault. That, that That's what it seems like to me. Um, why so why do you think we... So, obviously, there's a lot of focus on the midfield because we struggle to gain any real control. And that, why do you, from your, from your, from watching the game, why do you, why do you think that was? I still feel that we don't have a style of play under Clement. I think that's one of the things that's still maybe missing a little bit from maybe not having the time and not having the players available for the winter break. He's not had a pre-season with the squad yet. He's still kind of running with a squad that's not got wingers. It's not got the type of player that he would want. We can see that from Silva, Diamondi and Cortez being signed. They're not types of players we have in that squad. So Clement is working with players that I don't think he would pick if he could. So maybe it's harder for him to implement that style. So sometimes we are going a bit longer and a bit more direct. And then you're bringing a midfielder and it's not been playing. So he's got no rhythm. And maybe it's a bit mix and match as to see how Mother will go to depend how we play against that and what you have to do from that. But I also think Mother will are that dangerous way where they can kind of turn over a lot of second balls in midfield. And that could be what's causing the eye test of Raskin not looking good yesterday. And I do think we're all critical of it. Like I'm probably first to try and calm down a little bit, but I do tend to jump on number nine, not be good enough if he doesn't play well. There'll be yeah. people that have that opinion on Raskin. Raskin will be their go-to to go, no good enough, no good enough when he plays. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting, but Kieran, what was evident to me yesterday, I think, was that we looked quite leggy after maybe about 65 minutes or so, shortly after we scored the penalty. I, 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 was, I was quite surprised by it actually, but then I considered especially because we just scored, the crowd was up. But I thought we actually looked 
quite tired. We didn't really create much between that 65th minute um, all the way through to, I think, maybe the 88th minute. Then we had 10 shots in about six minutes, um, with four of which were cleared off the line or blocked. Um, but it felt like we went through a period where we just, you'd expect us to be piling on the pressure and then it just wasn't happening. Do you think, do you think that was the first time, I guess, that the injuries and the number of injuries we have in our squad became evident because the bench was nowhere near as strong as it has been in recent weeks. So then who we could turn to wasn't, wasn't really what we needed to, to change the game. Yeah. I think that I think there's a lot to that. I think you've got to look at the intensity we've been playing at as well, and very very tough midweek game to come off the back of it. Kilmarnock, especially the second half, where the players really had to work hard to grind it out. Like their games can sometimes take a lot more out than say your five nils against Hearts um, at Ibrooks. Yesterday was the same. We were made to work for absolutely everything, and you're right. I don't know if we had it in the legs now. I know a lot of people in the comments might have touched on it and I know that um, a lot of fans yesterday kind of looked to Connor Goldson as a scapegoat. I genuinely think he needs a rest. I mean, he's our quickest player to 300 appearances for a reason because he plays absolutely every single week. But he's getting to that age now where he needs to be managed minutes-wise. Now, if it's me, Hibs away in the Scottish Cup, I'd be looking to start Suter and Balligan and start rotating there. Um no, no, absolutely you're not. not. Absolutely not. No. I think when Connor Goldson was injured last season, we saw how much of an important player he is. And I think even when he was suspended um, earlier on this season as well, we saw how much of an important player he was. I actually have concerns over Suter. I kind of went the other way from you. I think I think Goldson is the, the one constant we should have in the defence. And then I am not convinced that John Suter is the, is the partner for him. He is, I get that. I, I still think Conor Golson's the best centre-back at, at the club. I think that goes without question, but I do think he needs a rest. Uh, the Air United game, I think there was a lot of questions over why didn't we rest Goldson? Like He's had a very heavy workload, and you've seen the, um, the season under Geo, the Champions League campaign. As soon as Goldson went injured, the Champions League um, performances dropped off big time. We were getting hammered left, right and centre, and then the league swung completely back to Celtic. And you're right, it was because Goldson was out of the team. We don't want to face that again at this time of the season. And I really feel that he, he needs a rest. I think the past few games, he's not been at his best. And I think he was had a bit of a hairy ending to the Kilmarnock game, a couple of misplaced headers. And he's not been the corner Goldson that we've been expecting. Um, but he's certainly, by all means, not a scapegoat. He's, he is our best defender. Um, and I agree with what you're saying. I'm a massive fan of John Suter, but... There's a mistake in him every single game. Yesterday was the same. Kilmarnock, the mistake that led to the terrific safety Jack Butland as well. These are bread and butter stuff for a defender. And for him, he's a top calibre defender playing at Glasgow Rangers. That needs to be better. He needs to shore these things up. But for me, I'd be looking to get Conor Goldson a rest at some point. I don't, I don't know when that is. I think what struck me yesterday about that goal was that move from Suter to try and win that ball early was the exact same move that he made against Hearts earlier in the season um, when when they scored early doors and then we obviously we won that in stoppage time. But um, it was literally a carbon copy of that 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 move. And you're like, have you not learned from from that mistake? It, it just I, I maybe won't go as far, Kieran, as saying he's he's got a mistake in him every game, but he does have the same mistake in him quite often. Um, you could also say as well, uh, Craig, um, Simon Murray's goal for Ross County. He comes, he's naive and yeah. comes short with the ball over his head. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. John, the defence was a bit, not a bit, the defence was completely all over the place yesterday and they get ran ragged by Theo Bear. Where do you stand on the, the Goldson Sutter there's a comment asking about Ben Davies and is he completely out of the picture? I saw he's on the bench yesterday. John Sewer would have to lose both his fucking legs before Ben Davies enters this conversation. I'm not, I'm not, I will take the John Sewer mistakes. I'm a big John Sewer fan. I'll take the John Sewer, but I'm not having that. That's that's ludicrous. That is the, we can put that as the top example of a player being out of squad, becoming more valuable without playing is Ben Davies' peak right there. Um, John Sutter. John Sutter's the best. I, I honestly believe John Sutter's the best right centre half at the club. I think a lot of his mistakes come from playing left centre half and trying to win the ball on his weaker side. 
I understand we're at a point where we're saying defenders should have that, but they do. They're playing for Rangers for a reason. John Suter's career's not peaked until now, 11 years after he made his SPL debut for a reason. He has a weakness on one side. You see that? See with the clearance against Kilmarnock? Body shape's all wrong on his left foot clearing. Those are things that he's not been exposed to. I know it sounds silly, but it's true. He's always dealing with the right side. Does he try to win that ball in front of the striker yesterday? That's normally his predominant side, going with predominant foot. He probably feels more comfortable. He's trying to do the same thing on the other side. And he's not learning those lessons because this is the first time he's had to. Because John has always been the best defender at the clubs he's been at. So he's been able to dictate that he's the right centre-half. And that's where he plays. Did the same for Scotland. John Suter's now in a position where he's got Conor Goldson ahead of him and potentially Balogun if fully fit. So I think a lot of Suter's mistakes are coming from just not being able to adjust that thinking. And uh, see if he just stands that guy up. Yesterday, he's got yeah. to go on the outside out to the channel and his job's done. But he's doing it like he would on the other side. I can win that. Conor Goldson would win that ball on the other side all, all day of the week. And I just think it's that. And it was the exact same. He looked so uncomfortable with the ball so close to his left foot on the button save. Um, and it's it's the same for a couple of things that I see. It's it just looks like somebody's trying to do the same thing on both sides that he can't necessarily do. And sometimes maybe a bit less aggressive defending would really help him out. And we cut out those mistakes and just kind of save him a little bit. Um, I, I'm, do you think, I'm with you. Do you think that's the long term solution though, in terms of playing him on his wrong side? <sighs> no, no. I think the lo- it depends though, because like a lot football goes quickly. Connor Goldson could come back for pre season next year. It'd be miles off it because he's hit 32 or 33. And then John Suter moves over to right centre-half and you have to find a left centre-half. I don't think we've found a solution for left centre-half still. I think what we've got is three good right centre-halves and nothing at the other side. And I think that's what would be my priority next season is to find that missing gap. So going forward, John, and I'll ask you the same question um, after I get John's answer. But going forward... Goldson and Suter as your starting centre-back pairing or does Balogun come into that discussion? John, it's sorry, that was that was for you, John, sorry. I don't know. I don't, see if he'd asked me before the old firm game, it would have been Balogun. But Balogun in that game, there was a... He looked a little, I don't know, it was the first time I'd ever thought Balogun had looked a bit off it, a little slow, maybe even. And I always thought Balogun used to eat up ground so comfortably. Like, he never looked like somebody that had any problems with pace at all. I know it was my Dan Kyogo, so that's maybe what's kind of, but I keep, I keep saying this sort of the eye test, maybe that's what's broke the eye test a little bit, that you're dealing with two of the quickest players in the league and that sometimes would just happen. What wouldn't have happened yesterday is Balogun wouldn't have got bullied off Theo Bear. Ballon wouldn't have made that mistake that John Suter made for the goal. So it really depends on what the impact of Balogun not having played a lot recently has on him because he's at the age where the less games you play, the more susceptible you come to kind of dropping off big time. Um, it's not like a David Weir that David Weir knew that, that David Weir had to keep playing until he stopped playing. Because if David Weir had ever missed a couple of games, his career was over. He was never going to get back in a team. Um, I think that's what's what the difference is, maybe maybe Balogun comes in against Hibs because he needs minutes somehow at some point because what we can't have is a sort of goal to an injury and then having to jump to Balogun or Davis that haven't been playing. Yeah, I think that's fair. Same question to you, Kieran. Is it is it Golden Suter going forward? Do you want to see Balogun in there um, ahead of Suter? Uh, well, like I said, I'd like to see Golson get a rest, but I'd rotate it between Balogun or Suter, but John's bang on the money there. It's got to be soon that you start giving Balogun minutes because the way this squad's going and the way the injuries are piling up, you don't want to bring guys out the cold and then they get injured again and then you're in this never-ending cycle of guys picking up these fatigue injuries and conditioning injuries where they've just not quite had the minutes. Balogun and Suter for me are pretty much a, a much of a muchness. They're very similar. They did the game well. They're physical. Um, I think... In terms of Balogun, he's maybe got that experience on his side where he's a bit more, he's got a bit more of a cooler head than Suter. I think, like I said, there's a mistake in him every game. There's a brain fart every now and again that it's just something you can't really coach out of Sunday. It's concentration. It's, it's switching off at the wrong times. So I, I, I don't know who I trust more, a Suter or Balogun, but I do like Balogun. But again, we touched on it. Um, 
<laughs> Somebody's just commented saying Ben Davis is advertising Rangers whiskey. <laughs> At least he's good for something. <laughs> um, we've just not settled in that left centre back position. So for me, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd pick it on a game to game basis between Balogun and Suter. Goldson being the mainstay, but let's get a bit of freshness in, in Goldson's legs. I think that's what was happening pre Christmas. I think if Luke Kwan was kind of rotating Balogun and Suter, and I felt it was working quite well. Both were obviously getting out, getting minutes in the legs, but they they were picking the the games for the right for the right people. Kind of what he's doing with Dessers and Silva at the moment. He seems to be kind of working right. And I'm not saying he's getting it correct every game because I think we saw during the week that Silva was absolutely not the one for that game to be leading the line. But I think he's he's clearly trying to work out a strategy where certain games Silva leads the line, certain games Dessers leads the line, and and that's why they, they kind of rotate. Um, I think I would like to see that start to happen again for um, whoever's partnering Connor Goldson at the back. Um, but plenty of people think that all of our central defenders are bomb scares, so it's really just that. It's really just <laughs> just selecting whichever one. And, which and, and to, let, to let everyone know, Richard Goff never made a mistake ever. Richard <laughs> Goff was perfect every single game he played. I think there's a bit of short term memory going on there. Um, Honestly, man, the defensive record in the league's been good. That's the, first time, been that's, the first, that's the first time the two of them have lost. The Rangers under Kwan. It's the first time when, the two of them have started a game and lost. One thing, one thing I would say, and I know you're hot on this, John. I think Balogun gives you more of a threat for set pieces. Yesterday, if one thing was evident, is we were terrible for set pieces. I feel like Mugabe headed absolutely everything away. There was no invention. There was no short corners. It was just get that out swinging in there, try and get something on the end. It was, it was kids play stuff. Now, if there's anyone on here that sits near Govan Rear Row CC. Seat one, two, six, anywhere in that vicinity, right? I apologise for what's about to happen because you hear me moan about it every single day. See when we take a corner. See if you're not going to do a short corner. You have to have a short corner option out there because it pulls their two front zone players out of the area. See if you're doing an outswinging corner like Kilmarnock did against us and almost scored for three times. It clears that zone to attack and gives you an area to hit. I'm fed up watching Clement. This is these are Clement's corners because he said it's him that does it all. He said he's owned up to this, so he's the one that's for the first time ever going to take some criticism. He moves that player in because he wants to try and pick up the second ball with somebody on the edge of the box. It's getting cleared for that area nine times out of ten because you will not keep somebody out there. Keep one or two people, Gerard, just to always do it out of there because it will mean you'll have two of their players stopping the short corner and see the third man, which used to be Ryan Jack under Gerard. They'll have somebody on the edge over at him. You now have space, man for man, to either overhit or underhit a corner that you can get your old-fashioned Joe Rebo gets a flick on, Halander and Goldson at the back post to win the header. You actually have space to create for runners to hit. So even if the delivery is not perfect, you're still getting on the end of it. We, Kieran's right, we have no... Va- I know I bore people to tears on Twitter with this, but we have no variation for set plays. It's so boring, so generic. There is no thought into it. It, it genuinely alarms me when I look at these teams and go... Motherwell have a gap defending this specific area. I know where they put Mugabe. He'll head most. So where do you avoid Mugabe? Teams do that against us. They go, Golds and Suter are going to be the zone blockers. So we're going to overhit our corners to the four men that are going man for man to attack it. Or we're going to pull people out the front zone and then Goldson will not move over and like Kilmarnock's corners were. We'll hit one front post, front post, front post, front post and we'll try and get an end to it. We must have one of the worst reverse cycles of set pieces against and goals going in between either direct corners or recycled corners from the corners we can see to what we actually let in the back of the net. I, um, I, you gave me a bit of a throwback there. I, I loved that Joe Aribo front post header, Alfredo Morelos tap-in back post um, routine that they had. That was that was tremendous and no one could defend against it either, which was which is one of the things. But going by, we, we should score much more from corners, but... In effect, Connor Goldson should score much more from corners because he must get about two or three free headers a game from a from a corner, and he's just there was one. It was at one. It was in stoppage time yesterday where he's free, and he he just he tries to nod it into the the far top corner, and he hits it wide, but he just needs to hit the target, and it's a goal. So it's so frustrating from that. That I saw you shaking your head, John. There, Is that, that was that was the one in the radio. That was the one in the radio that Kenny Miller went. How's he missed that? Like, un- could it disbelief, and that was that was me. I was like, 
And the minute he said it was Conor Goldson, I was like, I, I literally moan about this every Saturday. Conor Goldson should have probably broken Ali McCoy's scoring record by now. If he would put his head on the end of things, it's unbelievable how many chances he's had to score goals for Rangers. It just never seems to be able to consistently do it. Which, again, I'm sorry, bleeds back to we do not practice set plays on the training ground. It's so obvious because players like Conor Goldson are putting their head on things like this. It's the first thing that's happened that week. First time it's happened that week. We do not practice anything to do with set plays on that. And I, and I just it's just so obvious. If we do, I want to be corrected, but I do not believe we spend a single minute outside the analyst room on set plays. Yeah, I think everyone's kind of kind of noticed that um, Scott Five says Goldson has a pointy head. Um, I think it's just, <laughs> I think it's it's one of those things where actually Connor Goldson defensively heading a ball is is quite good, and he's good at the cushioned headers to Tav and all that sort of stuff. When you put him in the in the, in the attacking box, he just he seems to lose all all opportunity that he has there. Um, I wanted to come back to a comment. It was from Fifty Six Incoming. We found out yesterday in uh, Philippe Comot's pre match. Um, uh, interview with Rangers TV that um, Cortez was out injured. It seems to be quite a bad one, potentially out for the rest of of the season. We've also got him on loan from Lons with a an option to buy. I think rather than an obligation to buy, must as fifty six income and says must be a real bad one if Rangers are consulting with Lons on his treatment. I thought I wanted to first of all, Kieran, just ask you how big a blow is that given how he started his Rangers career. Massive. It was a real light when he came in, just that sharpness, the trickery, just something a wee bit different that we've been crying out for. And it was almost like he was made to play for us at this point of the season because he was just ticking all the boxes for what we were looking for in a winger. And everyone was talking about how much is this guy going to cost us? And the, the only silver lining with this might be that he's a wee bit cheaper because he's not done that well. <laughs> I would 100% still sign him, but... In terms of a hamstring injury where it's going to need a, an operation, it's, you're talking pretty much long term. Any normal hamstring injury, you're maybe talking anything up to six weeks, it doesn't need um, surgery. So with regards to why we're talking to Lons, it's because he does belong to them. It is his pl- their player, so there is a chance that he goes home now, which is, is a bit of a sad ending to what looked like a really promising loan spell. But... I think the only other one you can relate to here is Kevin De Bruyne's injury at the start of the season. That was a hamstring injury that required surgery. And you look at his recovery and how long it took him to get back. I think you're talking near enough six months there. So as it's uh, hamstring injuries just adding a six week thing all the time. Like it, it sounds pretty serious. And it was a strange one because it's not like he was in full tilt, like the sort of piston movement you get with with a sprint that you tend to see players pull up with all the time. It was almost just overstretching, and then the way he hobbled off the park wasn't good at all. Um, so it's a huge blow, and given our wing options, and they were already thin, not having him in a European squad, there's a chance. Well, there, there's a chance we see Scott Wright and Sterling line up out wide on Thursday night. That's an interesting proposition. <laughs> I, hadn't, I hadn't thought that far ahead actually ever about that. So thanks very much for putting that at the front of my uh, front of my mind, Kieran. I'll go uh, on once Dessels could be in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like serial Dessels now. I don't. I, I think I quite like serial Dessels. He he had a serial. De- I think I tweeted um, at the game yesterday. He's miscued so many in the first 20 minutes that he's going to score a double. Um, but it didn't quite work out that way. But I, I like him enough that he's I think he's a better finisher than Silva is which is a bit of a, a strange one. Silva's, um, the one Silva had from six yards out yesterday should be a goal 10, 10 times out of 10 every single time. So um, I'm going to back up serial dissers for now. John, yesterday we started with a left-hand side of Ridvan and Ross McCosland, which looked extremely lightweight for a starter um, and it, it didn't quite seem to gel at any point at all. Um, that's obviously because Cortez has is, is been out injured or has, is out injured and we're really limited for options. I think McCausland might be the, the last fit winger or was the last fit winger that we that we had in the squad. Um, Scott Wright doesn't seem even seem to get a look in, so I'm not counting him. Um, and we had Dujon Sterling on the other side what I think that gave us though was a real lack of width throughout the game. It didn't. It didn't seem like when Cortez has been there and because on the other side, for example, we've had those out balls yesterday. It did not seem that way, and we went back to 
fullbacks crossing time after time after time after time. And um, as um, I can't remember what, if it was yourself, John or Kieran, that said that McGabby was just heading the ball away constantly. And you're like, are we going to vary this at any point? And we we didn't we didn't seem to. But it was a real concern yesterday that we lacked that that width. I think it's just shown that you, you, we obviously can't be dipping down to third choice in those areas. We, we are, it, it's kind of amazing where we are in the league and what we've done. I know Clement's got a lot of praise, but it's not just an injury, it's key players. Seema's our best player, injured. Campbell's our second best player, injured. Lawrence coming back on and off injury. It just seems constant that these problems are happening to, to key players that I still think that Ryan Jack's the best all-round midfielder, but he's just never going to be fit enough. Kamar Roof is the best all-round striker, never going to be fit enough. We are dealing with no wingers. Our best player on the team, Todd Campbell, was injured. Seema was the second best top scorer, injured. Dessers is carrying a weight himself because he's not going to deal. Injured. These are not just like squad players we're missing. We are missing people who would be walking in straight in our starting at 11. Normally teams will get away with that if you're missing one or two of your key players. You've seen Celtic today. Huge problem because of their best player being missing, whether he's performed this season or not. Best player missing, don't win the game. Yeah, it's- I saw John just to kind of give some context there, and you come back in. But I saw a, a list of how, how many games certain players have been out since Philippe Comont was appointed. So yesterday was his 29th game in charge of Rangers. Um, out for 20 or more games out of those 29, we've had eight players. Raskin, Danilo, Lawrence, Jack, Roof, Dewell, Matondo and Davies have all been out for 20 or more of the games that Philippe Comont has been in charge of. And in terms of out for between 10 and 20 games, we've got we've got Wright, Seema, Barisic and Cantwell. That's a huge... That's a huge part of not just like squad players, but a huge part of a starting 11 that, that's that's out there. Um, and it's 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 amazing that it's just kind of swept under the carpet at times. And and that was, I know it was easy to say in hindsight, but that was kind of the point I was getting at yesterday was, I, I know we don't play 3-5-2. I know people are so uncomfortable with those words free at the back at home, a team like Motherwell. But see when you've not got wide players, when you've not got players available, stop playing positions that require stop playing formations that require people in positions that we don't have available we're playing somebody who's a right back gone centre mid playing wing we're playing a youth right winger who looks like he probably needs to be rotated more than he is currently we've relied on him and because on far too much I, I really like him that's not a diss on him but we've had to literally play him most of the minutes that he's been available for we're missing a natural number 10 but what we do have on that bench was another centre forward in Silva I know he's not an out-and-out finisher, but we have another stri- striker that actually moves around more naturally than Odessa's does. Dessers will quite happily run channels, lead the line, get in behind, with a several will kind of float about. So you could have played those as a two, and you could have played the extra defender. We've spoken about this, about Balogun needing minutes. Davies was available as your kind of natural person. And you take Suter out defending that awkward channel, and you push Yilmaz and Tav another 20 yards up in starting position, and you've still got the free in midfield, and it felt like in hindsight that seemed more like a, an option you could have done. <laughs> John's just interrupted there by what Gibson 97's comment is Dalcio available in a short term? <laughs> um, I'd be going chapping the door to my United farm at Diallo again for a few months, but um, I'd rather have Calcio for the old pro Evdes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you're. I like okay. what you say there with the three five two. Remember away to Prague in the group stages of the Europa League. I thought we performed pretty well against a team that's now qualified for the last sixteen. Like, that was a strong performance with three five two. So this team can do it. It wasn't even just a strong performance, Kieran. See, after sixty minutes, once they had pressed themselves to death against the three, we dominated the last half hour. We absolutely yeah. dominated them. And and see when people say we do not work on it. It's negative. Just this idea that a back three would somehow be negative. You're like, well, not really. If you, I mean, Celtic won a, Celtic dominated Scottish football under Martin Neal's three five two. There's this myth that somehow that formation is negative because you get three defenders. You should be defending in three and four anyway in transitions. If you got a back three, then it's problem solved. And then people say, well, we don't work on it. It took us sixty minutes against a top European side to really impose ourselves and look like a good team. And that was before we had Clement actually making the team believe and I don't want people but I think going away to Benfica when you've got 
four centre halves available and no wingers, maybe be prepared for a back five against Benfica on Thursday night. <laughs> I'm, I'm prepared for a back 10 against Benfica on Thursday night here. So. Going full Craig Levine. <laughs> we'll just we'll park all the buses in Lisbon on Thursday night um, if it's up to me. Um, it's not often we get some nice comments on here, but Don Deliver Cars has said, guys, the best podcast all season. High praise for, for John and Kieran on there. So thank you very much, Don. If you um, are enjoying the podcast, please do remember to to drop a like on the video. It does help us, help us massively. Um, and I like that you said that just before I can want to talk about referees. Um, <laughs> oh, God, right after I've slagged Brendan Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, Kieran, I'll start with you on this one. Um, I, at the game, I was in disbelief. A lot of the decisions that Alan Muir was making or not making, I think it's fair to say. I thought David Dickinson and during the week against Kilmarnock was having, was having a poor game. And then I saw Alan Muir yesterday. Um, within three or four minutes, the the two handed shove on serial Dessers that he just waved to play on. Um, the whole crowd was in disbelief at that one, and then it just seemed to get more and more as the game went on. That was an awful refereeing display yesterday from Alan Muir, wasn't it? Yeah, a hundred percent. And this, I think, not just us. I think you look at referees as a, a whole, and some of the decisions you see are baffling. There's three handballs midweek. Um, I think we're talking Ross County, am I right in saying that? It was the game on the Tuesday night, and then our game, Kilmarnock, the handball, and there was another one. Um, was it Mikey Devlin handballed it? I can't remember. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And it's like, come on, this is what we've got VAR for, but. To me, the handball rule is very confusing for fans. It's confusing for players, and you've got to think about the referees. Like, what chance have they got in that sense? But it's not really what where I want to focus with the referees. Um, you guys like me have been involved in football all your days, and it's my pet peeve with referees um, in terms of like the referee had nothing to do why we lost yesterday. Absolutely nothing. Right, the moment you give that referee back check, back check. I can't even speak now. <laughs> back chat. The moment you give the referee back chat, he's pulling a yellow card out and he's booking you because it's all about him, right? But we watched tackles on Ross McCausland and he's limped straight up the tunnel. This can't be happening in our game. The referee, as a minimal, has got to protect football players. John Stat last week, 22 fouls St. Johnson dished out on us, six of them on Cantwell, who gets off injured through an impact injury, nothing was done about that either. I mean, come on, as a country, we must be better than this. Games have to be refereed fairer. And through my own experience in coaching, I remember years ago, coaching over in a game in Italy, and our boys couldn't quite adjust to what the referees were looking for there. We like to go in hard here. We're a physical league. We're a physical nation when it comes to football. But the way they determine it, there was it has to be hard but fair. So that when you're going in, nobody's getting hurt. But it is fair. Football is a physical sport. I think we're really losing that. I think at the weekend there, the boy's been very naughty and he's left one on McCausland. Like as I say, you guys have played, you guys have watched hundreds upon thousands of games. You know what it looks like when somebody leaves one on somebody, and that was very very naughty. He's caught. I'm, I'm maybe 40 or 50 yards away from the other side of the field and I can see side on that he's left the toe of the boot on to catch him in the inside of the shin. And McCausland's it's one of these things, he's slightly pulled out. You don't know, don't pull it a 50-50. There's always a chance you're going to get hurt there. But at the same time, we need to move away from that. We need to be better than that. It's just, you're not meant to go out in a football field and get hurt. And that's the reason you bring in things like VAR. And then you look at the context of it, he's not even been drawn to the monitor. I cannot believe that for the life of me. You've got that there. Who cares how long it takes? You're the referee. Your bare minimum job out there is to protect the players. It's their occupation to play football. And when folk cannot play football due to being injured at their work almost, then what is the point in the referee? It's, it's what, what surprised me most was so in the stadium obviously I think instantly everyone thought oh that's a really bad tackle referee waved play on he didn't even give a free kick he didn't give anything he just waved play on and McCausland is obviously rolling about on the on the ground and you're like instantly you just know when you're watching football when the tackle is a bad one 
he's just it's just an instinct from from having played the game or having watched the game so much. So that was it was the fact that see if he'd given a free kick and booked him, which I probably on on the replay I probably think a booking was it was a, it was, a, it was one of those orange card ones. Um, yeah. Is it next season? It'll be a blue card. Is that what? Is that what um, FIFA or UEFA are testing or whatever? But it's one of those in between ones that you're like, it's bad. I'm not quite sure it's a, it's a red. But it was a Sifuentes tackle for me. Exactly same situation where Sifuentes has left one on him, whether he's meant it or not. It's a red to me, and I know, I know, an independent panel said it wasn't, but that is to me. It's dangerous. You're endangering your impo- opponent, and in McCausland's case, it was a shame to see him limp up the the tunnel. It's, it's just really frustrating. It's barbaric. We're going back to that again. It reminds me of that was it semi final at Hamden years ago when there was like two broken noses and Motherwell just basically beat us up off the park and the it was Fabio Cardoso, wasn't it? It was Fabio Aye, Cardoso. It, it reminds me of that game. Like, we've still not moved on from that. It's it's shocking and it really really frustrates me. We're missing Cantwell for the same reasons as well. Yeah, I think John. I think and. I may get a bit of stick for this one. We know that it seems that Rangers are refereed di- differently, especially games at Ibrooks, but I think Celtic are too. It's almost like referees use it as a bit of a leveler in terms of they've got such an advantage over other teams in terms of resources that being physical, allowing some more physicality in those games from the away team seems to seems to just be the norm, um, especially in games at Ibrooks. Is that what you see? Is that or is it, do you see it slightly differently? I, I don't know. I, I think it's maybe just because we have so much of the ball. We see it as teams just putting themselves about that maybe maybe for the most part, the tackles really aren't malicious. I, I think the one in McCausland yesterday is that Kieran's it, 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 spot on with what I thought. I thought it reminded me of the Sprinters one, and I remember being at the game and saying to my brother right away, he's gone. That's, that's a red. He's going to get sent yeah. off for that. He's put, he's put his left in. Don't know how much contact was there, but his studs were up. Seems like a red to me. And I was like, when he got sent off, I was like, yep, that's definitely red. And then see when they removed it, I was like, that's mental to me that they've decided that that isn't what they're looking for. So I guess one of the things I would say with the decision yesterday, although the, I mean, the VAR ref will have checked it. So the one thing I would say is it's consistent with what they've done previously at Ibrooks. With that, the issue for me is you can find 10 other decisions that look the exact same where there's been a red card and you get kind of unsure as to what, the right decision actually was that I think Rangers and Celtic fans see this a lot more because we control the game. We have 75% of the ball against teams. So we're going to get more tackles. We are, but there is a way in which teams can tackle you to you not feel like somebody is singling out a Todd Campbell or somebody is trying to leave the boot in. And that was the kind of thing that used to rub us up the wrong way about Port Race on Barisic. She'd be like, well, that's mental. That's just somebody that's been given enough rope and it's maybe the ref's reeling that in properly to go if I don't actually watch what the good hard tackles are and let a few that should have been yellow cards go, I'm going to have a red card that I'm going to miss or somebody's going to get injured here and that's unfortunately for us it's not singled out because we, we're getting a lot of muscular injuries as well but we are now losing players to impact injuries from opponents Yeah. so there is an element we are start going to go I mean as, as the referee maybe a wee bit laxed for what we have in this country and yeah, just as a final point, John, I guess, just as we get ready to wrap up as we can approach the hour, but Philippe Clement said in his post-match press conference that um, players are being kicked off the park for us, effectively. There's been several occasions now that that's been the case. Is that is that Would you agree with that view? Yeah, I think he's bang on in that, but I think he also then went on to say he understands that refereeing is a really difficult thing to do, especially when the league is so physical. So you are kind of like, Although he's making the comment, he also understands the problem. Is is that it's like this is a country that play physical football. What what am I, what are we meant to do? We maybe can't we can't change the style of football. So the referee is the thing he has to call out because he's going. I can't go to ninety nine percent of the other clubs that don't play possession based football or play the way us and Celtic do. But I can appeal to the lawmakers to be like, in English football, this stuff wouldn't stand. The only thing I would say is. We still don't have full-time refs, and I still watch Italian, Spanish, English football, where they are making howler upon howler, where 150 grand a year paid refs are full-time. Seeing the Nottingham Forest game yesterday, the wrong rule applied when he gave the ball back to Liverpool, when it was Forest that had possession, and Liverpool run out of the park and score for that in the 99th minute. Nottingham Forest were the last team with the ball. 
he dropped it to Liverpool's goalkeeper, and that was now deed they've said that was incorrect. That was I seen a whistle get blown as a cross is coming in against Valencia Real Madrid last night. A league that's paying 120 grand uh, for full time refs. We're never going to be better until the left, so at least full time <laughs> to be able to then get a level playing field to that. I think that's what you need to do to make the refs better. And I, I think again, I don't want to talk about Celtic game, but you could see in their game as well that was a game that was badly officiated in my my opinion as well. Yeah, I think it was. I think potentially they got all three of our decisions in that first half <laughs> somehow. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so I think we'll round off the podcast there. So thank you very much to John and Kieran for joining us. Thank you very much to everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, as I, as I mentioned earlier, just drop a like on the video. It's greatly appreciated. And we've got plenty more content coming up across the TII YouTube channel. So make sure you're you're subscribed more people listen to us who aren't subscribed than are subscribed so make sure we, we change that and and you hit that subscription button and every single time we get ready to go live or every single time we upload a new video you'll get a notification and you can watch us and interact with us and all of that so thank you very much everyone for listening and until next time goodbye Podcast Network.